Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. You know, first responders face tests all the time. Um, Firefighters, every time the pager goes off or a call comes in, uh, we know that in some way we're going to face some sort of test. Uh, It might be uh, a minor test. It may be a relatively easy test. It may be a quick test. Uh, Or it may be a a huge test of skills and training and a test of mental and physical and emotional uh, toughness. You know, it, it may be a test that lasts a long time. Um, every one of us have stories of, of being in uh, situations where we're you know, fighting a fire for hours and hours throughout the night, that type of thing. It may be a, 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 a major uh, car accident that with, with extrication needs and multiple injuries, even fatalities and things like that. Law enforcement officers are in the same, uh, face tests the same way. Uh, they, they never know when they, the calls that they respond to that are, quote, routine calls turn into something that uh, is uh, devastating. Thursday night in uh, Cobb County, Georgia, two deputy sheriffs uh, both lost their lives in a, in a, on a call where they were serving a, a warrant to arrest a man and were both ambushed and lost their lives even this past Thursday night. Uh, so far in 2002, uh, 46 law enforcement officers have lost their lives due to gunfire uh, in our nation uh, so far. Uh, law enforcement officers certainly in the social and political climate of our day, um, that seems to exacerbate the severity of those tests that they deal with sometimes. I was on vacation this week, you know how sometimes you just hanging out in the pool and you just strike up conversations with folks and I did that this week and was talking with a guy who was younger than me, so he's a young guy, young guy, and, uh, but younger than me who had already retired uh, as a law enforcement officer and had already retired and, and for different reasons, we talked about it some, but some of the reasons were because he just, he was a homicide detective in a large city up north and uh, part of the reasons for his early retirement was just the way things have changed so much. Uh, and I know law enforcement guys understand what that's all about. Every, every first responder has their stories. And some of them we talk about, some of them we don't want to talk about. Some of them, we, have, we all have those calls that seem to stay with us for a long time, um, things that those calls that really impacted us a lot. Um, For me, getting called out on prom night in Monticello and responding to a car wreck that my daughter was in. Didn't realize that Rachel was in the wreck until I got on the scene. I thank the Lord that she was not severely injured, though there were severe injuries to other people in that wreck. Things like that that you just, you you know, we always have those calls that you wonder you know, we wish we could go back, maybe and go do things differently. If we had done something differently, 
maybe the outcome would have been better, those types of things. And September the 11th, 2001, was, was certainly the greatest test that, that any first responder ever faced in our nation. It was a huge response from many different agencies all across New York City and literally across the nation as, the, as it continued to unfold in the days and weeks beyond. But, uh, man, just the tremendous courage and bravery and skill and, and of course, uh, sacrifice, huge sacrifice by hundreds of people giving their lives in the line of duty that day and in the days and weeks and months beyond. I read some stats this week. I'm not going to do a whole bunch of stats, but just kind of, kind of bring us back to that moment. And and I also understand uh, Dwayne and I were talking about. It. I mean, that was 21 years ago. There, there are kids in here that maybe mom and dad you're going to need to talk to them after the service and tell them even what this thing is that we're talking about. Um, this 9/11 thing. But that day, uh, the total fatalities that day. That number fluctuates. You know that they, they, it's just been difficult to get a. A, a totally accurate, completely accurate number, but the latest one that I saw was 2,996 people that lost their lives that day. Uh, the number of firefighters with the New York Fire Department was 343 that lost their lives. The number of deaths from the New York Police Department was 23. The number of Port Authority police officers that lost their lives was 37. Uh, there were 291 bodies that were found intact. Think about that. Only 291 bodies that were found intact. Uh, 21,906 remains were found. Parts were found. There were 1,717 families that got no remains uh, from their loved ones that died that day. Didn't have anything that they could have to, to bury or anything like that. 1,700 families, over 1,700 families that didn't get anything. They, uh, surely difficult to get closure with that kind of thing. 1,609 people lost a spouse that day. 3,051 children lost a parent that day. 3,051 kids lost a parent that day. By January of 2002, uh, just a few months later, uh, 300 firefighters were on leave due to respiratory problems. There were 98 uh, vehicles destroyed from the New York Fire Department. 1.8 million tons of debris were, was, were removed from the site. 1.8 million tons of debris and fires continued to burn for 99 days after the attack, over three, over three months. But you know, it wasn't just a test for first responders, it was a test for all of us, wasn't it? It was a test for our entire nation. It really was. I mean, fear gripped us that day. It did. I mean... For all of us, there was some sense of fear that gripped us on that day. I had had church members. I had a church member who called me in the middle of that, as the towers were falling and all the things that were going on. We're all glued to the TV that day. I had a church. My phone rang at the house there in Monticello, and the, a church member called me that day, um, 
and was weeping, uh, a lady weeping on the other end of the line, crying out and asking, John, is this the end of the world? That's how we felt. Is this, the, is this the beginning of the end? Fear had gripped us. Anger gripped us. We couldn't believe we're the United States of America. You don't do that. You remember feeling that? The anger that gripped us. The disbelief. We couldn't believe what we were seeing happening right in front of us that day. Couldn't believe, every, as it just continued to happen, we couldn't believe this happened. Then we couldn't believe that happened. We couldn't believe this tower fell. We couldn't believe that tower fell. We couldn't believe that there was that the Pentagon. We couldn't believe that the plane went down in Pennsylvania. We couldn't believe, we couldn't believe that they had grounded every plane across the United States. There was no, no uh, plane flying anywhere in the United States that day. Dante Fontenot, many of you know Dante, church member, did refresh for me Wednesday night, did a super job. Dante was... Uh, uh, a career U.S. Army helicopter pilot, and he texted me uh, earlier this week and just uh, said, "I'll just share a quick story with you about 9/11." He said, "I had to move, I had to take a helicopter and move it from one place to another um, out in uh, Utah, where they were stationed at that time." And he said it was the weirdest experience to get up in the air, and there was total radio silence that day. He said, "Normally, when you flew into Major airports, you the radios were just nonstop talk. You couldn't, and you had to, you had to time your uh, mic to get keyed up so you could talk to the tower. He said there was no, there was no, no one talking that day. Uh, we were just, we were stunned, like we'd never been stunned before. My mother was in the middle of cancer treatments for breast cancer and was coming to Jackson that day. She and I actually called uh, Daddy and her that day. They didn't know what was going on. Called them and told them as they were traveling from Cleveland down to Jackson. I came up from Monticello that day after I finally pulled myself away from the TV because I was supposed to meet her and Daddy here for her cancer treatment down at Baptist. And I walked into the waiting room there and there was complete silence in the waiting room. The waiting room was full of people full of folks having cancer treatments and things like that. It was just, just this stunned silence. We were just, as a, but then as a nation, we rallied together, we grieved together, we worked together, and at least for a little while, we worshiped together. A couple of weeks, anyway. And for many of us, 9-11 was, was our Pearl Harbor moment. Now, some of you uh, are of the generation that you can remember Pearl Harbor and or maybe your parents remember Pearl Harbor. But that was our, this was our Pearl Harbor moment for so many people. The day after the Pearl Harbor attack, President Franklin D. Roosevelt called December the 7th, 1941, a day that will live in infamy, right? Well, that was a day, Pearl Harbor was a moment when our nation collectively saw the true face of evil. And September the 11th, 2001, was another, was another day that will live in infamy. And the, the test of our nation's strength was on full display. But you know, all of us have those 9-11 moments in our lives. All of us have those moments. Those moments when we find ourselves suddenly find ourselves in extreme pain 
in extreme fear, in extreme uncertainty. On September 11th, we saw planes crash into buildings on a picture-perfect day. Do you remember how blue the sky was that day in New York City? Picture-perfect day. And in the same way, adversity crashes into our lives when things seem to be picture-perfect. Everything's great. We got money in the bank. We're, kids are good. Marriage is good. And then, bam, adversity crashes into our lives in some way. September the 11th, we saw fires rage out of control, causing massive destruction. And you and I find ourselves sometimes in situations in our lives where things are spiraling out of control, destroying our health, destroying our marriages, destroying our families, destroying our businesses, destroying our futures. On September the 11th, these buildings collapsed into these huge piles of rubble, and you and I sometimes find our lives crashing down around us into a pile of rubble, and we wonder, what happened? The questions, our faith gets tested, all of this, and we wonder, how will we ever come out of this? How will we ever make it out of this? The questions abound. Why is this happening to me? How did I get into this situation? What is God trying to teach me in this? And the only place that we can turn in order to find the answers is right here in the Word of God. There is no other place to get the answers than this right here. Amen? And today we're going to do our best to strive to understand what's going on when our faith is tested. When our faith is tested. We're going to begin a series in the book of James today that you see uh, when your faith is tested. The name of the series is Faith That Works. If you'll grab your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It's page 1011 in the Pew Bible if you need to get a copy of God's Word from the Pew Rack close to you there. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Would you stand, please, and let's read this, these verses together. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Pray with me. Lord, we ask you now, by the power of your spirit, that you will bring clarity and understanding to these verses to our lives today. Because, God, we need it. Uh, in this room today, and folks that are watching this service right now, faith is getting tested. And if there's somebody here or somebody watching this service today that says, well, not right now in my life, and I just say to them, well, hang on, brother, hang on, sister, it's coming. Because the faith will be tested. Our faith will be tested, and we need you to help us, Lord. So help us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. All right, so this is my first sermon in the this book of James, this new series, so I'm doing a little quick background work on the book of James. So first of all, let's talk about who the author is. James. James. The, he says that at the very beginning. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting, this guy James is the half-brother of Jesus. 
That's, that's pretty big time, isn't it? I mean, he's the half-brother Jesus. And according to Galatians 2.9, James is considered to be one of the first pillars of the church. He was one of the most important guys to help the New Testament church get started uh, in, in the early days. So here we are, and it's interesting that James did not make, he didn't say that. He didn't say, James, Jesus' half-brother. He didn't say that, did he? It's interesting that he didn't make a big deal of being Jesus' earthly little brother. It, 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 he wasn't concerned with trying to Im, impress people with his pedigree. He simply referred to himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. One writer said, more significant than being the younger brother of Jesus is being one of his people. Do you hear me? More significant than being the younger brother of Jesus is being one of his people. Just because you're the earthly brother of Jesus don't mean that you're going to make it to heaven. you got to know him personally and intimately, and that's what the thing that James said was that he was a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The sign of being one of the people of God and one of Jesus' people is that you devote yourself to serving him. And so that's who the author is. It was written, uh, the, this was, is probably the oldest book in the New Testament. It was written A.D. AD 45. James was martyred for, the, for his faith. And uh, about 17 years later, A.D. 62, he was stoned to death uh, for taking the stand for Jesus. The purpose of writing this book was he wrote, you see there the word dispersion, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. This refers to Jewish Christians that God had scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. And, and James' primary audience in this letter was those people. He wanted to encourage them to keep growing in their newfound faith in Jesus. Even though they've been scattered everywhere, he said, y'all stay with it, keep living for the Lord, keep growing in your walk. This book is sometimes called the Proverbs of the New Testament because this book is very practical. It's got some real practical, how, teaches us how to practically and faithfully and wisely live our faith. That's why I'm really excited to take in the next several weeks and walking through this book with you. Some people think that this book contradicts Paul's writings. Paul was all about Salvation by faith, through grace alone, in Christ alone. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is what, that's kind of the foundation of Paul's theology and doctrine. The book of Romans is all about, it is all about faith, grace, and James talks about works. We'll talk about that in a later sermon. And so there are people that the great Martin Luther hated the book of James. And he just said it shouldn't even, he even felt like it shouldn't have been in the New Testament. And yet James should be there because James' emphasis is that good works must grow out of our faith. And if they don't, then our faith is not a genuine faith. That, that's, that's just the truth. You have the right to watch my life, not just because I'm your pastor, but because a brother in Christ, you have a right to watch my life and to see if my life proves that I know Jesus, to see if the good works in my life prove that I know Christ. 
And I have the right to watch you too. Oh, no, wait a minute. Are you judging me? No, I'm not. I'm just inspecting the fruit in your life. And James said, if you ain't got the works, you ain't got the faith. Because if you got the faith, then you're going to have the works. Amen? And that's what James talks about. There's some other books that were written about James that talk about this. One writer, the name, title of his book was The Behavior of Belief. Another one says, A Belief That Behaves. Another one says, Make Your Faith Work. And so that's what James is all about. But specifically for us today, the application for this message out of these first four verses is this, that God uses tests in our lives to help us trust him more. He uses the tests in our lives to help us trust him more. So let's talk about the tests. First thing we need to understand is that the, the, the tests don't surprise us. The tests don't surprise us. You look at verse 2 again, where James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The tests don't surprise us. I, I know you probably remember when you were in school, you had pop tests. You remember pop tests? Didn't you hate pop tests? I mean, you walk in and the teacher says, Get out a piece of paper, get out a pencil, get out a pen. We're about to take a test. And it's unexpected, it, 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 may, it may surprise us. It, it catches us off guard. Uh, we're unprepared. We, we didn't know that when we walked in that day we were going to have a test. And we, we have those pop tests in school. Well, I'll tell you something. We already know the tests are coming. We know that the tests of our faith and the tests in life are come, coming. James did not say, count it all joy, my brothers, if... You encounter trials of various kinds, did he? Count it all joy, my brothers, what? When they come. They're not, they don't surprise us. These tests don't surprise us. They, these tests, these trials, these examinations, they are inevitable. That means, this verse means that whenever they come, that, in other words, there is going to be a definite time that they are going to come. It's 9-11 happened. It, it, it happened. And it it was inevitable that something was going to happen, and we didn't expect it to be as big as it was, but it happened. And these, these tests don't surprise us, and they remind us that we need to be ready for them as often and as long as they come. And if you're breathing right now, they're going to come. Now, we, we may not know the timing of the tests, we, we, you know, it could be when you're on a mountaintop. Like I said, you know, crystal clear, per picture perfect day. Everything's wonderful. You just get off a beach trip. Everything's great, that kind of stuff. And then, bam, it happens. It, you don't know the timing. It may be on a mountaintop. It could be when you're full of great joy and happiness. It could be when things have never been better. So you don't, may not know the timing, and you may not know the the form that they come in. James said various kinds. In other words, it meant all kinds of tests. You don't know the form, the timing, or the form. In this room right now, there are all kinds of tests happening all throughout this room. I know of a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them I don't know about. But man, that, you know, if we, if we just, if we, if all of our lives were just plastered up here on these screens for everybody to see. Here's the tests that are going on in my life. There's probably not a single person in here or very few people in here whose name and test would not be up here on this screen. 
This is what's happening with me. And we may not know the duration of the test. We don't know how long they're going to last. We hope they're quick. <laughs> but some of you got testimony that the tests have gone on and on and on and on and on. So they don't surprise us. And although they don't surprise us, the way that we are supposed to respond to them does seem a little surprising. <laughs> Where James says, count it all joy. Do what? Count it all joy when those tests come. Count it all joy. Think about joy when you encounter these trials. How do you think about joy? How do you think about joy when you're going through a time of testing? Well, first of all, let me tell you what he's not saying. Let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying pretend like this is fun. <laughs> pretend like you're enjoying it. Pretend like just put on a happy face. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to feel good about your test at all. You don't have to like it. You don't have to answer, well, hey, I'm fine when things really are not fine in your life. You don't have to have the attitude that says, well, I may as well grin and bear it because there's nothing I can do about it. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying pretend like this is fun. Pretend like you're enjoying it. Pretend like everything's fine when things are not fine. What he is saying, the joy comes, the joy comes in knowing that there is something that God can do about it. In the midst of your trial, in fact, he's already doing something about it. Our joy is not connected, listen y'all, our joy is not connected to our ability to withstand the test. Our joy is connected to our confidence in the Lord he, that he is going to carry us through the tests. That's where the joy comes in. These tests may be painful, but there's a purpose behind them. These tests may be difficult, but there's a design in them. These tests may be confusing, but there's a cause for them. So let's talk about the purpose and the design and the cause. Point number two is that these tests develop steadfastness. Verse three, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Listen, let me tell y'all something. We definitely need some steadfast Christians in this world. We need some steadfast Christians today. That word means endurance. That word means perseverance. We need some Christians that are going to be steadfast in their faith and going to endure and going to persevere when the tests get harder and harder and harder. And I believe that's where we're headed, that they're going to get harder and harder and harder. One writer said this, the character, that, that, that steadfastness is the characteristic of someone who is, listen to this word, the characteristic of someone who is not swerved, swerved from their deliberate purpose and loyalty to their faith by even the greatest trial and suffering. It's someone who is not swerved. And when you think about the word swerving, when you think about swerving, what comes to mind? I think about driving my car. I think about driving my car. I've got a destination in mind. I'm headed toward that destination. I'm headed to Madison. I'm on 463, headed to Madison, and I go around a curve, and, and someone is on their phone texting like I never do when I'm driving. 
and, and they, they, they cross that center line, and I have to swerve, and it knocks me off my course. And the tests that come our way are like that driver. They're like that driver who crosses the center line into your lane. And steadfast Christians will not swerve. They keep pressing on. Sometimes they'll even crash when the test comes, but they get back up, they get back on their course, headed to their destination, and they press on. No matter what the test is, they are deliberate in their pursuit of the Lord. They are loyal in their commitment to Christ. They are willing to endure the tests of life, knowing that the test that they're going through is going to make them stronger for the next one that's coming. And that's what that steadfast is, steadfastness is all about. Because those tests make us more compassionate toward others who are also going through tests. Those tests are making us more patient. They're making us more prayerful. They're making us more powerful in our trust in God's plan for our life. Those tests, that steadfastness takes us going through those tough times. And it's going through those tough times that produces the steadfastness that we need in our lives to live for the Lord. We need that steadfastness, that perseverance. To make it when the tests come. And the tests help us develop that steadfastness. You know, the problem is that there are fewer and fewer people, Christians in our day, who are willing to be inconvenienced or have their easy lives interrupted in order for this necessary growth to take place. For the steadfastness to come, which is necessary, we've got to have the steadfastness. Our lives have got to get interrupted with a test, with a trial. And I'm not saying we ought to look forward to those things, but I'm telling you, we've got to expect them to come, and we've got to be ready for them, and we've got to know that they're necessary in our lives. I read a, I read a startling statement recently. It's, it was made by the director of a program this program was designed to prepare freshmen for their college years. This director of a program that was designed to prepare freshmen, incoming freshmen, for their college years. And this is what this director of this program said. He said, 18, the age, 18 is the new 12. 18 is the new 12. Our students are emotionally underdeveloped. They're much less res resilient than any we've ever encountered, and I'm not entirely sure why. Part of the reason why is we live in a comfort culture, a comfort culture. A culture of convenience. A culture of instant gratification. A culture that says things have got to go my way all the time. And if they don't, it's your fault. And so we're not developing resilient people any longer. The reality is that we are never guaranteed comfort. We're never guaranteed convenience. We're never guaranteed instant gratification. 
In fact, those things work against the necessary development of steadfastness that God wants to build into our lives. So listen, God in his infinite wisdom and love for us knows that we need that steadfastness. He knows that you need that steadfastness. He knows that I need that steadfastness. And you know why? Because he knows that like it or not, there's another test coming down the road, right? There was another big test that we all went through. It was a, a woman that showed up back in 2005 named Katrina. Y'all remember her? Well, guess what? A month after Katrina showed up, Rita showed up. And guess what? A month after Rita showed up, Wilma showed up. That's the picture of life. God prepares us. By developing that steadfastness, that endurance, and that perseverance that we need to keep pressing on. That's why we can count it joy when the trials come because God's developing that steadfastness in us. And he's also, those tests deliver spiritual maturity. Back to verse 4. Let's take a look at that and we'll wrap up. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's just a description of spiritual maturity. Not perfect that you're never going to sin again, but perfect and complete in your walk and in the, the maturity that God is building into your life. That steadfastness, that 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 ability to perseverance persevere when things are going south leads to that absolutely essential place for every Christ follower and that place is spiritual maturity you and I are supposed to be moving towards spiritual maturity all the time all the time all the time John Eldridge said maturity is no longer optional dear ones wholeheartedness is no longer something that we can go without this is not optional. Spiritual maturity is absolutely necessary, and it comes when we renew our love for Jesus. Maybe that needs to happen in your life today. We had a revival the last uh, a few weeks ago with Bill Ed, and a lot of folks came to the altar and talked about renewing their love. Are you still there? Are you still there? Do you need to be there today, renewing your love for the Lord, remembering the promises of God? Spiritual maturity comes when you remember the promises of God that you find in His Word. Spiritual maturity comes when we refocus the priorities that we live by. Spiritual maturity comes when we realign our lives to live in obedience to God. Spiritual maturity comes when we reach out to others in our time of need, when we need help. Spiritual maturity these trials, these tests, deliver that spiritual maturity. Early one morning this past week, I was sitting on the balcony of the condo, and just, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not rubbing it in. I promise, I just want to tell the story, all right? So I was uh, early, get up early every morning, and get on the balcony, drink some coffee, have my Bible, and just have a good quiet time, stuff like that. And I was sitting on the balcony, and it was early, and there was a storm rolling in. You can see it out in the gulf there, the lightning and the clouds, and it was rolling in. And there was no human being on the beach <laughs> at that moment. 
A lot of times, you know, if you, you beach people know, you like to go out sometimes early on the beach and watch the sun come up and stuff like that. Or, or you like my wife and you're like, leave me alone. I ain't getting up until, you know, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. I, I'm, I'm on vacation. Uh, but, but there used to be a lot of people on the beach. There was not a single person on the beach. The storm was coming in. No human beings were on the beach. We were all sitting on our balconies. Or we were still sitting in our condos. And we were comfortable. We were dry. We were out of the wind. We were out of the rain. But the birds were there. The osprey, you know what an osprey is, a seahawk. The osprey was soaring over the gulf out there. The wind just whipping him around. He's out there soaring over the water, but he's looking for food, knowing that his life depends on that. And then there are the seagulls and the terns and the little sanderlings, those little bitty birds that jump along the beach there and stick their beaks down into the sand and they're, they're out there and they're all over the beach because they know that, that those churning waves are going to bring food up to them. If they'll stay there, then the, that's what's going to happen. And so while I was, and even while I was watching, an osprey flew right past me from my 10th floor balcony, right past me with a fish in his, in his claws. So here, why you tell us? Because here's the deal. God created those birds. He created them. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, he said, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So here's the point. God created them. God is going to provide for them. God is, he created the sea that is holding their food. He created the waves that is bringing their food in. He created the moon that is causing the tide that's causing those waves. He created the storm that is churning up those waves. And spiritual maturity means that you and I know that even when the storms roll in, when those times of testing come, our Father who promised to take care of the birds of the air and the birds on the beach is going to take care of us in the storm. That's spiritual maturity. In fact, that's the very reason he allowed that storm to come into your life. To show you his faithfulness. To prove his steadfast love to you. To deepen your faith in him and to give you a story to tell to other people. That storm those times of testing is an integral part of his sovereign plan for your life. And that's spiritual maturity. You know, I hope and pray that 9-11 never happens again. I really do. I hope. But, but we all know that tests are going to continue to come into our lives. So how do we pass the tests? How do we pass the tests? First of all, you got to know Jesus. You got to know him personally. You got to know him passionately. You got to know him intimately. So do you know Jesus? If you want to pass the test, you better know Jesus. Secondly, you got to trust God with every fiber of your being even when you are freaking out with fear and anxiety. Are you trusting God like that? And then you got to have brothers and sisters in Christ in your life. People to lean on in those times. People 
that you can talk to, people that you can cry with, people that you can pray with, people who will just sit and not say a word, people who will be there for you, or people who will pray when you can't pray. You've got to drop your pride and let those folks in. You've got folks like that. If you're going to pass the tests that are coming, that are in your life now or that will come, you've got to know Jesus. You've got to trust God. And you've got to have those folks in your life. And that's the church. That's the body of Christ. So I pray that you and, you and I are ready for the tests that will come. And if not, then right now is the time for you to get ready. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, will you help us now during these moments of invitation, Lord, to respond in obedience to you, whatever that means for us, Lord. For somebody here today, God, it may mean that they need to trust Christ as their Lord and Savior for the very first time. Somebody that's watching this service right now, Lord, they need to call out to you and be saved. Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need you to save me, so come into my life. Others, God, are saying, you know, right now I'm not really, I'm not trusting God like I need to. My faith is weak and I'm not trusting God. I'm not in his word. I'm not surrounding myself with his promises. And they need to develop a deeper trust in you today. Lord, others, God, would say, you know what, I'm just not connected to some people that can help me. They need to join this church, Lord. They need to come and be a part of this church family. They need to reach out to somebody to help them in their time of testing. So, Lord, help us now to respond in obedience as you speak to our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.